The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, we're talking all about sustainability today. We're delving into a company which is on the forefront of the merging hydrogen and automobile industries. It's a company called H2X Global. Privately held company, but as we will discuss today, a listing is certainly in their future. I'm joined now by Brendan Norman, the CEO of H2X Global. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure, Oriel. It's, it's fantastic to be able to talk to you. Now, I want to talk a bit about you um, in just a moment, but first, tell me about H2X Global. So we're a company that we formed um, roughly two years ago in terms of how we actually launched the company and then sort of got into the business that we're into. Actually, it was early part of 2020 that we started. We, however, have been working on hydrogen projects for a long time between the group of us. So I myself started with hydrogen projects back in 2008. Um, Chris, our designer, was 2012. Myself and Chris were working together with a company based in the UK. We then formed a company based in China uh, back in 2016. And then that sort of led us towards coming to um, H2X by 2020 when we launched that in about, it was about May 2020, we launched the company. You know, as you say, you, you started, you know, another company um, in 2008 and you've said before and you've said publicly that you've got a drive to create a sustainable future. Where did this drive for you personally come from? That That's an interesting question. I think for me, when I was quite young, I'd already identified that it would be interesting to make vehicles that were coming from a different sort of both the body of the vehicle being made of sustainable materials was something that I thought was rather interesting when I was quite young. Uh, and then looking at things like how solar power and so on could then be used in a way that could form power that could be used in vehicles and it had always been interesting to me to learn how the vehicle industry operates and I managed to make a career through BMW and through Volkswagen and other companies to then understand the industry and then found myself in a position in 2008 where I was exposed to the hydrogen industry and got really excited about it from then onwards and then have been really focused on driving forward to make um, hydrogen vehicles a reality. You, you, you just talked about working for some of the biggest car companies in the world. Um, why is it that you believe that you can be more effective when it comes to doing this thing um, by yourself rather than working with some of these big companies? There's a lot of different reasons which makes it, I would say, quite difficult for the structure of the other car manufacturers to really change in the direction that we want to go. There's a number of um, inherent manufacturing processes um, there's certain jobs and certainly on a geographic basis, there's a reason for the vehicle companies to really sort of go in the direction that they're moving in and continue to do that. And a large part of that is also the distribution network. What we're doing at the moment is very much getting close to the hydrogen producers and the people who really want to use hydrogen. And as such, our distribution model is something which is really quite unique. And that's also something which is driving our ability to find a market quickly. And by finding that market quickly, we can bring our costs down. So what that 
that means is that we're in a position where we can get very close to the people who use hydrogen in the short term. It's a very different way of distributing vehicles. We're not putting tons and tons of vehicles on boats all of a sudden and sort of delivering them on mass. But we're really crafting the market and then driving the um, development of the market forward. And that's how we, we plan on starting. And that's what will give us the sort of volumes that we need to bring down the cost through um, reducing the components that we're putting into the vehicles on the basis of volume. So, so that's a really interesting interesting model. Um, when it comes back to those original companies that I was talking about, are these are the way that the traditional car companies of the world, you know, the Mercedes, the BMWs are doing things, are they behind the curve when it comes to sustainability? Uh, it's very difficult to criticise them. From my understanding of a lot of the technology that's available, there's some fantastic technology that the big um, manufacturers have got access to, and they're certainly working very carefully on that. There's, um, of course, one, one of the aspects that we have at the moment is that the availability of things like hydrogen and even the electric charging stations is, is certainly still limited. And therefore, the ability to distribute and the sort of volumes that those companies operate in is very much restricted. So we have, because of our the nimbleness of our company and, and the approach that we're taking, we have the ability to sort of follow those sort of niche markets and then sort of focus on developing those and developing ourselves a reputation, much in the same way that Tesla did. And this is where we perhaps have a different edge in terms of reaching the customer. Um, I wouldn't never um, think that the companies that we're focusing against are behind us. I think that there's some, as I said, some fantastic technology that is floating around. But it's our ability to sort of deliver it, I think, to market, which is where we have an advantage at this point. Mm, mm, Okay. Um, Now, when you talk about hydrogen, you you mentioned uh, electric batteries as well. Talk us through why hydrogen, in in your view, is is potentially the better option over electric cars or or batteries. We have a very open approach in terms of the technology. We are not completely wedded to hydrogen as such. However, the focus that we have with our business is that we're very much focused on having a very quick delivery of a number of vehicles that helps us with our volume, of course, and that focuses on the commercial vehicle market. So what we really like, and one of our products that we're quite excited about is the delivery van and the taxi. Um, Those vehicles will be seen in a number of cities um, quite soon. We're planning at the end of 2023 to release those vehicles that we have. And those vehicles will be able to be used in the cities, particularly where some cities are starting to cut off off petrol vehicles. So by 2025, there's a number of cities around the world where you won't see petrol vehicles. They simply won't be allowed in the cities. What that means is that we're able to focus on those markets and really push vehicles that will suit the operation of hydrogen vehicles there. Now, the difference that we have with our vehicles is that they can operate for a a decent amount of kilometres, somewhere between 500 and 600 kilometers on one tank of hydrogen but the beautiful thing is that once they've once they've run out of fuel or as they're getting lower on fuel they can be refueled within three minutes and this is where the electric vehicles perhaps will run into a bit of a problem because the electric vehicles have to be recharged for a matter of hours to get a really full recharge and that means that professional drivers being in taxis and delivery vans and so on it does make it very difficult to live with electric vehicles and they become the only two options that can then go into these cities that can't run 
um, petrol vehicles any further. So that's where we see a real advantage for hydrogen vehicles in that they can be refueled very quickly. So for professional drivers, that's where we're focused at the moment on really developing the technology. So whereabouts are these cities that you're talking about that you're going to go into first? Predominantly, these are through Europe at the moment. There's um, around 35 cities, I think, all across um, from uh, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, Germany, Spain, and so on, where they have um, agreed that they will have these um, uh, bans on petrol vehicles from 2025 onwards. And as you look forward to 2035, a number of cities right across Europe in particular are banning um, such vehicles. So, so how do hydrogen vehicles actually work? So in the case of our vehicles, we have a hydrogen tank on board. The hydrogen is then passed into the fuel cell. The fuel cell creates electricity. The only outcome of that, of course, is water. Um, the electricity is then passed either directly to the wheels or into a battery or a supercapacitor, which we mainly use to connect, collect kinetic energy. The kinetic energy then supports the acceleration of the vehicle and in some cases the, the average speed of the vehicle, depending on how we're structured, the way that the vehicle's working. And then it's a combination of the kinetic energy that's captured within the battery or the, um, or the supercapacitor, plus the energy directly from the fuel cell, which then powers the vehicle. So essentially it's an electric vehicle, very much in the same way and the same sort of technology as the um, battery vehicles but of course our battery and our, our energy storage is through the um, hydrogen and the, it's released through the hydrogen fuel cell. So you mentioned that um, it takes around three minutes to fill up a, a hydrogen vehicle. How do you fill them up? I mean wh where do you fill them up? Uh, it's very, very similar in process to that of the um, liquid petroleum gas vehicles that in Australia we've had for a number of years. You have a locking mechanism um, on the on the tank which locks into the vehicle and then the, t the pressure equalizes and puts the, um, the energy into the, the hydrogen fuel into the vehicle. It's a process which at the moment um, is taking some time for us to get those stations operational. There are a number of stations throughout Europe that have already been installed. If you go to somewhere like Munich, there's about four cities. There's about four stations that have been installed. Netherlands have about six stations which are now operational. There's two stations that are operating in Sarawak in Malaysia, which is one of the areas that we're focusing on. And there's a couple of stations that have already popped up in Australia, but there'll be a number of stations that are operating, um, starting to operate from next year as well. And it's as these stations come online that we really start to ramp up our vehicle activities as well. Obviously, we can't deliver vehicles where we don't have the hydrogen, but we're very much aligned to those producers. We're talking to them in terms of when they'll be delivering their, um, their refueling solutions. And that's when we really start to offer the product. So there is a bit of time coming. However, that time is coming very quickly. And as I mentioned, around the world, there are a number of installations that have already gone in place. And we um, are very much aligned to those installations and keeping abreast of when they're going live and jumping on board those projects as they come. Well, you're working very closely with Pure Hydrogen, a company that I know quite well. Um, how does this partnership work? So with Pure, we have the opportunity to really understand where the customers for hydrogen are because that's what Pure have been doing. They understand where the hydrogen customers are and they also have developed the systems and approaches to deliver green hydrogen, which is also a very big positive because they're getting the hydrogen from green sources. They're able to deliver those hydrogen to the customers. And what we can do is we can integrate our vehicle programs in line with their delivery programs to their customers of hydrogen. And this works extremely well for both of us because of course we can provide the vehicles that use the hydrogen, they can provide the hydrogen, it's coming from a clean source. So it's a fantastic combination of, um, of uh, the right sort of chickens and eggs all together at once to um, make the, the right sort of um, approach to get the hydrogen to market. 
Do you see Australia as once again becoming a, a manufacturer of, of cars? I mean, obviously, your manufacturing facility for, for your ute is here um, and you bring in some parts from overseas, as far as I understand it. There are some parts that are coming from overseas in the early part. We are looking at having our production of the core components starting in 2023 and then moving forward into the motors and so on from 2024. The idea is that we see that if Australia has got the potential to be a leader in terms of hydrogen production, we should be a leader in terms of the vehicles that are manufacturing this. One of the things that the new manufacturing of these vehicles has got is it's very high-tech manufacturing and this is somewhere where Australia is definitely capable of being competitive. Australia has been very strong in terms of aerospace and in terms of defence and so on with some um, very good projects which have come Australia's way and this is the same sort of high-level high-tech manufacturing which the country is competitive at. So this is where we've decided that we do make a home out of Australia and obviously we do believe that the future of manufacturing for our heavy, the higher numbers of vehicles is going to be in Australia. So you've just literally launched your first hydrogen vehicle, which is, as I mentioned before, your Warrego Ute. Talk to, talk us through that. What's it like to drive? How different is it from a from an ordinary petrol or diesel Ute on the roads? In general, the vehicle is very similar to the electric vehicles in that there is, because it's an electric motor, there's a lot of torque, so the acceleration and so on off the line is quite aggressive. It does mean that the vehicle's very, it feels light to drive when it takes off because of the acceleration. It is not a lot lighter than a petrol vehicle. It's roughly the same, maybe a little bit heavier depending on how we configure the um, the storage options for the um, hydrogen. But it's very much in a similar sort of direction to the way that the um, electric vehicles are or a very high-powered diesel vehicle. We think it'll be competitive in the way that people drive it. We expect that people will like it. There is some noise from the hydrogen fuel cell. There's a lot of uh, cooling and a lot of air induction noise that does come from the vehicle. So it does have a bit of fun to it in that you can hear what the engine's actually doing, which is a little bit different to electric vehicles. But it will be something that we think that people will feel comfortable with. So at the moment, the price is close to $200,000, obviously very expensive in terms of a car in Australia. So at what point do hydrogen cars become affordable? Yeah, Ariel, in the way that we've built this vehicle, it's a vehicle where we're doing it as an aftermarket product, where we're taking out a number of components and putting in a number of components. It is an expensive way to do it. It is something that we developed originally as an internal vehicle for testing. However, the way that we've developed it is in very much a very safe and very secure way. So we were able to offer that to some of our clients, which is what we've done. And the idea of that is that we give the opportunity for some people to really be early adapters in terms of taking on the technology and, 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 and trying it and using it and getting their organisations used to um, using this technology with the vehicles. It does mean that it is a little bit more expensive than the vehicles in the future. We expect to see probably a 50% reduction in price over the next three years or so as the vehicles then come to maturity and certainly when we have our delivery van in place, we expect them to be rather competitive with the diesel vehicles. Um, so that's something that we see within a two-year frame that the vehicles really become competitive. But the other thing, of course, around the vans that we're releasing is that they're designed around and manufactured from scratch from our own design and therefore we don't have to do the um, pull apart and put back together again, which is obviously a very costly process. So my vehicle of choice, just in case you're wondering, is, it, is an SUV. When am I going to be able to pick up a hydrogen automobile uh, SUV? In, from H2X point of view, we do have a design that we have um, planned around that. We've done a lot of work on a product that we did previously. 
um, together with another manufacturer and in an SUV space that wasn't proceeded with. So we do have a platform for that. The issue that we really see, though, is we have to make sure that our customers won't be inconvenienced by the availability of hydrogen. And we really need to watch how the market's developing. And the way the market's developed over the last 18 months since we first launched that that vehicle, we don't see the applicability of hydrogen for every single customer, you know, for family use and so on. So there is a bit of a, a slow point in terms of that being realised. We do, however, believe that by 2025, 2026, certain cities around the world, and certainly the potential does exist for Australia to get in that direction based on a number of projects that we are aware of. We see that around 2025 would be the right time for us to release a vehicle that's in that sort of segment. Before that, we just think that it would be a little bit difficult because we don't want customers being unsatisfied by not being able to find hydrogen in the sort of density that they require it at. So you talked about Europe um, having these cities um, that are going to be free of, of petrol vehicles by 2025 and they're the ones that you're going to start with what about later on what is your international strategy because you have formed a partnership in malaysia with uh, the state government economic development program in sarawak um is how important is asia to you on your international uh, framework I think at the moment, Ariel, the whole world's important because the number of hydrogen projects that are in existence is rather limited. There's a number of projects which are starting, but the projects which are actually delivering green hydrogen today are very limited. And with Sarawak, for example, they do have green hydrogen availability because of the hydroelectric availability in that state. So this is where places like Sarawak, for example, are places where we have really focused on to bring products to market very quickly where we can then get involved with that green hydrogen revolution as such and then start to provide vehicles and put vehicles on the road which are using green hydrogen and therefore are creating a difference. There are a number of places around the world including some parts of Africa, some parts of South America as well and the Middle East where we're having discussions and about to launch projects of a similar nature and the idea is that we really have to keep an eye all across the world on where the hydrogen projects are and how we can sort of tap into that. We were lucky enough to be at the COP26 meetings, the climate change um, conference that was in Glasgow last month. And we met a number of different governments who were sort of looking in that direction. And that's allowed us to really get on top of where a lot of the projects are and then tap ourselves into how we can really support those projects by finding them ways of using the hydrogen that they believe that they can manufacture and then come up with business cases for everyone that works. Now, at the moment, you are an Australian headquartered business, obviously. We're, we're sitting here talking in Australia. But I'm now hearing that it's more likely that you'll list your IPO on the NASDAQ than the ASX. Is that in fact the case? From a listing point of view, this is something that is being looked at, but that doesn't mean that the headquarters will ever change away from Australia. The intention is that the business remains Australian and that the focus remains on the hydrogen availability in the country and therefore the um, ability for us to really develop a, a strong network of people who can work with hydrogen, who understand the technology and who can develop vehicles and products into the future that will come. A large part of that is what we're doing in Gippsland. We're working together with a team who's created a Australian Renewables Network where they're working with a couple of universities to really create a talent pool. And we're very, very much committed to this to make sure that Australian minds and brains are being used to um, really drive forward this. So our intention is that the, the the operation of us based out of Gippsland at this point is certainly going to be something that is going to stay and it's something which is going to be the long-term uh, home of the company and there's no intention at all to change that. 
So what sort of time frame can we spe- expect with any IPO? At the moment, we have the process looking to start around April for us to really get the, um, the approach taken to move into that um, activity. And we're looking at having the listing completed around the end of next year. That's roughly what we're looking at at this stage. And what will you be doing with the funds? That will then allow us to go into mass production, and which is the, um, the the key activity that we need to go into. It's the ability for us to mass produce, particularly our own series of vehicles, starting with the delivery van, which is our own complete platform. And then we obviously require a large amount of funds to do that. That's, of course, being done out of Australia. And the idea is that those funds will be used to start that production and then get the vehicle operational from there. Mm, fantastic. Um, Brendan, it's been re- a real pleasure to have you with us here on the uh, program today. Thank you so much for, for joining us, for chatting to us. Um, congratulations on what you've achieved so far. And I really look forward to chatting to you and catching up again in a few months' time to see where you're at. My pleasure, Ariel. It's been great to be on. So thanks very much for the invitation. And thanks also to all of our listeners. We'll see you next time with more Stock Insiders. I'm Ariel Morrison. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.